Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleadcom that both examines and inspires a certain approach towards life that is based both on personal philosophies and on the writings of people such as Emerson and Thoreau. Please send any feedback to info at naturesleadcom or drop a comment onto either the blog or onto iTunes. This is Series 2, Episode 28, Title, Hearing the Unheard. Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, I talk about our buried sense of hearing, and I read some insightful lines from Emerson. So we'll get to that in a second, but first, today's random window. My life has been very hectic lately. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain beliefs... A certain goodness in life itself, in just being here, in breathing and thinking, in reflecting on vast memories, in talking to you right now. It is with all this internal armament that I am carried through the inevitable rough spots in life. What a boon. What treasure is that? How wonderful is life? that I can intrinsically build out this imaginative structure within and adhere to its guidance with all my spirit and soul. On to the main topic. Hearing the unheard. When's the last time you were minding your own business, talking to a friend, and an unexpected sound startled you out of your train of thought, out of your moment? And you said to your friend, did you listen to that? No, that's never happened, has it? This is the difference between listening and hearing. Listening is active. A decision has been made. Listening is a deliberate, conscious act. Hearing, however, is passive, innate, unforced. Hearing is a natural function of the mechanical underbelly of human existence. In fact, it's not just for humans, but for animals as well, right? We all need it for two fundamental reasons, protection and awareness. The problem with us, though, is that we've buffered ourselves far away from the survival requirement of hearing. We are insulated to the point that listening, a higher level function, an intelligent social layer built on top of hearing's foundation, dominates our experience of life. Listening has become the foundation, and hearing is a forgotten, raw connection with the world that has been reduced to the screeching of car tires, the crash of a tray of dishes in a restaurant, and maybe even the rare once-or-twice-in-a-lifetime experience of a scream. This is when hearing is called into action, when the sound is loud and startling enough to wake us from a life of listening. So what is the point of all this exposition? Yes, fine, there's listening and hearing, one's more animal and one's more cerebral. Well, what used to be more natural to me has become more memory than practice. We need to tune ourselves and quiet our insides to the point of naturally hearing things. I want to forever hear the birds. When I am forced to listen to them, then the game is over. I noticed the other day that I don't hear them and the trees they play in as much as I would like to these past couple years. 
The task then is not to remember to listen, but to instead quiet down to where hearing is unearthed, excavated from our depths. My life has been more complex these past couple years than ever before. Many dynamics, many through lines in this composite of twine, this thread of threads that is me, then, now, and to be. The other day, when I thought of this episode topic, I was walking into work from the parking lot under some large 40-foot trees, and I heard the birds. They were everywhere and wonderfully musical against the rough facade of my corporate catacomb, the dungeon of straight lines, buildings with the passionate precision of military formations marching a grid into an open field of grass. The birds and trees were the antithesis to the 90-degree angle. Well, that was the first time I heard the birds there in two years of working with my current company. They were always there, but I wasn't. Sure, I walked by every day, my body, that is, but I was asleep. I was not me, but a duty, a walking obligation. I'm sure I listened to the birds a couple times, but I never heard them. When we are newborns, we are probably more familiar with the sound of the breeze rushing through the broad branches of a large tree than the gentle conversation of our family. But we are flip-flopped by adulthood. We are conditioned to comfort by immersion and coercion. It's not evil. It's natural as well. A higher level of intelligence is going to naturally round out all our needs once the basic survival concerns are all taken care of. For me, it just goes back to understanding these layers of perception, that are so thick in modern-day society. It's a process of reverse-engineering who we are. How much of us is us? And how much of it is society and the hand-me-downs of historical advancement? Personally, I need to become more internally vigilant. I need to, at times, regain control of my mind. It's right here on top of my shoulders. Nobody else is physically manipulating it. Yet, I allow it to sometimes be dominated by the affairs of the world, running amok, seemingly out of my control. Here's some lines by Ralph Waldo Emerson, taken from a work called The Transcendentalist, which, of course, was delivered as a lecture in 1842. He is comparing the materialist to the idealist. In the order of thought, the materialist takes his departure from the external world and esteems a man as one product of that. The idealist takes his departure from his consciousness and reckons the world an appearance. The materialist respects sensible masses, society, government, social art, and luxury, every establishment, every mass, whether majority of numbers or extent of space or amount of objects, every social action. The idealist has another measure, which is metaphysical, namely the rank 
which things themselves take in his consciousness. Not at all a size or appearance. Mind is the only reality, of which men and all other natures are better or worse reflectors. Nature, literature, history are only subjective phenomena. And now I'm going to jump down a little bit where he is still talking about the idealist. His thought, that is the universe. His experience inclines him to behold the procession of facts you call the world as flowing perpetually outward from an invisible, unsounded center in himself, center alike of him and of them, and necessitating him to regard all things as having a subjective or relative existence, relative to that aforesaid unknown center of him. From this transfer of the world into the consciousness, this beholding of all things in the mind, follow easily his whole ethics. It is simpler to be self-dependent. The height, the deity of man is to be self-sustained, to need no gift, no foreign force. Society is good when it does not violate me but best when it is likest to solitude. Everything real is self-existent. Everything divine shares the self-existence of deity. All that you call the world is the shadow of that substance which you are, the perpetual creation of the powers of thought, of those that are dependent and of those that are independent of your will. Do not cumber yourself with fruitless pains to mend and remedy remote effects. Let the soul be erect, and all things will go well. You think me the child of my circumstances? I make my circumstance. Well, maybe that which is going unnoticed is not the external sounds of wind-blown leaves, or wings rapidly fluttering in the sudden launch off a branch. Maybe it is inside myself where I need to focus on hearing the unheard. That brings us to a close. So until next time, I wish you well, and don't forget to follow Nature's Lead.